The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kotz. And I'm Stephanie Sambari, and we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Heard of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. Welcome back. Today's What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild is not a solo episode like last week. Today, we are talking to one of my friends, Amanda Fredrickson, who we met when she lived in San Francisco. Then she was in LA with me for a little while, and now she has since moved to Nashville. She is a total baller in the kitchen. She went to culinary school in San Francisco. She worked at the William Sonoma Test Kitchen for two and a half years. She writes recipes. She tests recipes. She makes incredible videos, and now she's opening a restaurant in Nashville which is one of my favorite cities in all of all of America. I cannot wait till we can get on a plane and go visit her and eat at Radish. But I wanted to chat with her today about opening a restaurant, moving from content creation into like an actual physical space where real life humans come and eat your food every day, the challenges of opening a restaurant during COVID, the work. So we are going to get into it. I can't wait for you to meet her. You guys are going to love her. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to hear your voice and see your face via Zoom. <laughs> you know, it's been way too long. Way, 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 way too, too long. long. I was just thinking about how we used to take our walks like around the golf course in Brentwood and like talk about like deep philosophical things about the food world. And now you live in Nashville. No, I miss those days. <laughs> so I told everyone at the top of the episode who you are, all the things you do. You have like such an incredible career in the culinary world, but I want to hear it from your perspective. Like, how did you get started? How did you decide to go into the food world? Lay it on us. So let's see, where should I start? Um, kind of after college, I'd always been attracted to food or like drawn to food. Um, I ended up in New York um, and just kind of was really exploring the different food scenes in New York. I mean, New York has amazing food. Um, and then I followed, you know, I, I couldn't really afford all of the nice fancy food in New York, but I would go to kind of the different bodegas, the small restaurants and really got into the food world there. And then I followed a boy to San Francisco and he brought me out there and just kind of fell in love with California and the food, I was just blown away with the ability to find incredible, fresh local food basically on every corner. You know, I grew up in Florida, um, but we just didn't have that. That wasn't part of our, you know, culture, our life there. We had great food, but it wasn't as kind of pervasive as it is in California and in San Francisco. The food is just part of the culture there. So I fell in love with that, didn't know how I could make it a part of my job. Um, and so kind of just continued to cook on the side, teach myself how to cook. 
I don't come from a family of cooks. I come from people that don't know how to cook. And so I think that's why I've always also been drawn to food is because I, I never learned it growing up and I wanted to learn it. So when I was in San Francisco, I just kind of fell in love with the food scene, tried to figure out how to make a job of it. And then one day woke up, took it as a calling from the universe. I walked into my job. I was doing fundraising for Stanford Hospital, which was an amazing job. My job was to raise money for kids without health insurance. Wow. So they could get coverage at um, the children's hospital there but it wasn't like my passion. And so I woke up one day, walked into my boss's office. Um, he tried to give me a raise and then I quit. Yes. <laughs> you know, from there, um, I went to cooking school. So I went to San Francisco cooking school and had like the most amazing, incredible time. It's four months in the kitchen classroom, two months in an externship and just fell in love with the food world from there. Where did you do your externship? I did an SPQR in San Francisco. Francisco. Is that the pasta place? No, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, it is. It was intense. Yeah. I don't think I actually even ate the pasta when I was there. Don't tell them I said that. (laughs) (laughs) It just was super, super intense. The kitchen was probably like 12 by 12. It was so small. And there was a full set of stairs in between like the dining room and the kitchen. Oh my God. Running up and down stairs all day long. Um, it was an incredible, incredible learning experience. And as I start this restaurant now, I, I think about it a lot because a lot of what I, you know, I find myself in those similar situations as I did during it, being in an extern at SBQR to where I am in the kitchen these days and kind of a, you know, a restaurant kitchen. And so I think back fondly, but it was pretty intense um, two months. Yeah. And then from there, I ended up in the William Sonoma Test Kitchen. Yes. And you wrote, I was just reading about this before, even though I feel like I know pretty much all there is to know about you. I didn't know you wrote 11 books while you were there. Oh my we God. Did. I know. They, we would pump those suckers out like there were nothing. That so they were insane. smaller format. They were still. Um, yeah. So it was 25 recipes, you know, 25 or 30 recipes on like a, a single subject. So we wrote two on the spiralizer. And I think it sold like a million dollars worth or something insane because that was right when like the spiralizer hit the market. Do you still use your spiralizer? No, mine's in my basement, like half broken. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't used it in years. (laughs) Um, But they figured out a way to kind of hit those trends. We would basically write the rest of the cookbook in one week. They would shoot it the next week and then it would go to print. And as you know, like you've written so many cookbooks. It does not go that quickly. It should not go that quickly. But they realized there was three of us that could just kind of pump out these Bang recipes. Bang them out. Wow. And they could coming and then sell these books. You know, because I think they were like $12, you know, small format, small books, $12. And sell them as kind of like add-ons to the major appliances or products that were doing well. That is an incredibly quick turnaround. Okay, so since you left William Sonoma, you've written two books on your own, one just for yourself and one for Stope, correct? Right. How long so, did those take you to write? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not long enough either. Um, so they both took, I want to say, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half, both of them, from like start to finish. When you start talking about those conversations. That's a little about, longer than a week, though. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> Writing a cookbook in a week is just insane. Writing a cookbook in a year and a half, like I'm sure as you know, is kind of insane too. Yeah, it's great. But like where I think people that are in the food world and write recipes are just like slightly crazy. And like we were like (laughs) gluttons for punishment because I remember with my first, my first cookbook, the avocado cookbook, I had four months to write it. And I, looking back now, I was like, what the F were they thinking? Like that was a terrible decision. You can't 
possibly test your recipes in that amount of time, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. You don't realize it. Like if you're new to it, you don't realize how much work goes into those cookbooks. And so you're like, sure, I'll write a book. It'll be easy. Right. And then you're like deep in it and you're like, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> but, and you keep on doing it over and over again yeah. because the end result is amazing. I feel like it's like book. people who have kids and they're like, oh my God, I'm never doing that again. And then all of a sudden you forget how like hard labor was or how hard your pregnancy was or whatever. And then you have a second child. Like all of my friends have said that, that have kids. They're, yeah. they're like, remind me never to do that again. And then they're like, we're pregnant. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like some sort of crazy mind trick that <laughs> you you're forget. like, I hate being and it's yeah. awful. And then the baby comes, you black out. Comes, and you're like, Oh wait, maybe I should do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel the exact same way about cookbooks. <laughs> um, okay. So you left William Sonoma, moved down to Los Angeles. We got to see each other all the time and you went full time for yourself and you were creating content for your Instagram and for other brands. I feel like you pioneered hands and pans videos, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, don't yeah. you kind of think you should get credit for that? Because everybody ripped you yeah. off and <laughs> yours were so beautiful. Yeah, I remember it. <laughs> they would get like hundreds of thousands of views. And it was just like wild time in Instagram when hands and pants yeah. were so popular. And you spent how many years doing all that on your own before you guys moved to Nashville? So I spent about two and a half years doing that kind of on my own. So when I left the test kitchen, my husband got a job in LA and we moved down from San Francisco to LA. And I was trying to figure out what to do, find my bearings. I did a little food styling, which was great. But I really realized, um, as I'm sure you know, there was an opportunity at that time on Instagram to grow with video. And so I basically taught myself on YouTube how to do these videos, how to shoot them, how to edit them, you know, all of that. I knew nothing going in. And I just, I saw an opportunity for to help people learn how to cook through these like little hands in the pan video. I will say, I look back now and I'm like, they're like a little, you know, when you look back at old work and you're like, that is not good, but we were just kind of all figuring it out as we went. But you were winging it and it worked like, and it was incredible. And you got to work with brands and all that. I feel like a lot of people listening are always, well, maybe we should talk about this after we talk about your next transition, because (laughs) after you did this in Los Angeles, you continued to do it. You guys moved to Nashville you had mm-hmm. two babies and now you're opening a restaurant. <laughs> and I am, I just have to tell you every time you post about it, I'm like watching it six times in a row on Insta stories. I'm like, oh. God, Amanda's <laughs> so brave. It's so beautiful. Oh my gosh, you guys, it is a big day here on What's Gotta Be Cooking in the Wild. We have our first sponsor, and honestly, I couldn't think of a better brand to kick it all off with. In case you've never heard of Sonos before, it's amazing, and you clearly don't live with my husband because he's been obsessed with Sonos for years. I honestly can remember when we lived on Westgate and he came home from work one day and he's like, babe, we gotta start building out our sound system. This is gonna take us through the rest of our lives. Sonos is where it's at. And we've been building out our sound system in our house ever since. We buy like one to two pieces Sonos a year. Normally it's for Thomas's birthday and Thomas's Christmas present. And let's just say when it's time to throw a party again, it is going to be epic. Recently, we just got the Sonos Move, which is basically a portable speaker that you can take anywhere you want. You can use it to stream music, listen to your favorite podcast. Hello, what's got me cooking in the wild? Tune into the radio, hook it up to your TV and listen to sports. Basically, the possibilities are endless. Just pick it up, move it room to room, throw on a playlist, switch it to Bluetooth, take it to the beach, take it to a friend's house, take it to a socially distanced park date, you name it. 
Also, if you have multiple Sono speakers, you can listen to something totally different than the rest of your family. So like for Thomas and I, I can blast T-Swift in my office while Thomas listens to something else, probably like the instrumental version of Game of Thrones in his office. So we're basically also saving marriages one day at a time. Head to Sonos to learn more or just DM my husband and he can literally build out the perfect Sonos sound system for you because he is obsessed. Okay, back to the podcast. So for those of you listening, she's launching a restaurant. When's it actually opening? Um, We're thinking next Wednesday. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay, (laughs) so by the time you hear this, it's open. (laughs) Yeah, it'll probably be in theory unless I've gone crazy. But yeah, in theory, it will be open. We basically are ready to go. Um, we just need to base, pull, pull the trigger when we feel comfortable enough with the food and the quality that's coming out. Okay, so it's called Radish. Tell us where it is in Nashville, the whole nine yards. I want to hear I want to hear the spiel. So we moved to Nashville about two and a half years ago and got here and loved, loved Nashville, but there was no place to kind of quickly eat. We get quick, healthy food. You know, they've got amazing fried chicken and biscuits and amazing sit-down restaurants. But as kind of parent, as a working professional, like I can't do that every night or, you know, it's just not possible, but there was no way, no place to get healthy, fast food. And I was waiting for Sweet Greens to come in. I was waiting for like the bigger brands to come in. And there was even a petition on Twitter for Sweet Green to come in and they haven't come in yet. Wow. And so I saw this opportunity in the market um, to, to create these fast, I call it fast food, fast food restaurants. Yeah, it's like that fast were, yeah, fast casual restaurant in every corner in California that I was so used to that I really missed here. Um, and so I was waiting and waiting and waiting for another person to do it, for a restaurateur to do it, startup brands to come in and no one did. And I was like, well, shoot, I think I just have to do it myself because <laughs> this is the food that I want to eat. It's things like salads and grain bowls and wraps and frozen yogurt. And we're going to serve wine and beer. And just as a way for people with kids or just busy people shouldn't have to sacrifice quality of food just because they don't have time to go to a sit-down restaurant. Um, just because it's fast food doesn't mean you need to sacrifice quality and flavor and freshness. So that's where this idea started from. I mean, it's so cool. So are you going to be open breakfast, lunch, dinner? So just lunch and dinner. So it'll be 11 to 8 every day. So the hours are good in terms of like a restaurant world. But it is honestly fast food. So you come in, you kind of go through the line, you can make your salad or wrap or grain bowl, and then you can sit and eat there, or you can take it to go. And I think the majority of people will take it to go, obviously, in this new world. But it was never meant to be a sit-down restaurant. Um, It was more, there's tables there. You can can seat yourself. You can serve yourself. There's no table service. Right. But you guys have a ton of space. Like, if if people wanted to stay there and also socially distance, like that's absolutely possible. Like I've, I've seen every, I've seen it from absolutely nothing in there to what it looks like now. So like it's huge. And the kitchen itself is much bigger than what it was like when you were staging in San Francisco. Like, (laughs) so how, how has the whole recipe development process been for that? So there's been a couple iterations of the menu, to be honest. I started it and I had these ideas. And then when we went to actually create the recipes and create this space, it was, I needed to think about what was the simplest way to do this, both from like an operation standpoint and also from like a customer experience standpoint. I've, I'd seen a lot of other brands do like 8,000 different types of salads and grain bowls and you have to have, you know, ingredients and your staff trained on every single possible recipe. 
And so I wanted to pare it down and make it simple on both sides for the customer and for our staff. So it's, um, it started off, I did grain bowls and salads. They were different, you know, some were like a kale Caesar salad. Another one was like a, like a Greek grain bowl or something, but instead I have streamlined it to, this probably happened over Christmas, streamlined it to where there's eight signature flavor combinations. And you can make that into a salad, a grain bowl or in a wrap if you want. Oh so, my God, it's yeah. brilliant. I think it's just an easier, I think it's more user-friendly and also say like you and Thomas want to go eat dinner, but you're starving and he's yeah. like not that hungry. I want and, that wrap. <laughs> yeah. You want the wrap? And <laughs> Thomas is like, I'm not eating carbs today. I'm like, fine. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. I'm going to eat them all. And I, yeah. And, exa- and I think that works for a place in the South where, you know, salads aren't you know, really considered super popular here. They are, but they're not like, you know, main courses sometimes. So I think for all people. So I think it it helps to bridge the gaps between, hey, I'm going to bring my dad, but he doesn't want a salad. He wants a wrap or he wants a big grain bowl. And you're satisfying all the lunch preferences for people who want to come just grab a quick lunch and go back to their office once offices are back in full swing. Yeah. And dinners too. And then, um, I was pregnant when I was developing all of these recipes and there's no place to get frozen yogurt in town. <laughs> and it's not, there's like a TCBY, but I, I there's I, no froyos. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. I don't understand. That's another thing I had in California on every single corner was just like a natural frozen yogurt. And it's just not, it's not here. And so, <laughs> you know, salads, grain bowls, wraps, and then um, frozen yogurt. And then out of COVID, we've recognized the importance of family meals. I think that was never you know, COVID brought that out in a lot of, I don't know if restaurants in LA, but here, um, the opportunity to serve, you know, all four people yeah. to go. So we'll give the options to do family meals on each of those signature flavors. So cool. So if you want like the steak cob, you can have that family meal style. And so you can, you get a big bowl of grains, big bowl of um, greens, and then um, some pitas. You know, one of our favorite restaurants that you and I have been to many times, Loki in Platform, it does oh, yeah, yeah. family taco night and you go and yeah. you pick up tacos and it, it says it feeds four, but honestly it's enough to feed like eight people, That's good, which is yeah. great because then you have leftovers and you can make them into different kinds of things. How has training the staff been? Luke, my husband has been super helpful with that. He's kind of like my silent partner. He comes from an operation standpoint. What he does, um, he kind of goes into companies and helps them create different programs and staff. And so he's been instrumental in that part. He's also um, helped hire an operations manager in January, Pete. And Pete has like taken over um, everything. So he, so Pete is the one that's like really doing everything. And then I kind of try and help when I can. So yeah, so Pete will do the operations and then I do more of the marketing and the social media and the menu creation. And so Pete hired a bunch of people already. I wish I was there. I was so excited to come. It's been such a learning curve. I, but I like, I love that. Like I love the ability to kind of, look at a problem or look at an opportunity and be like, I can fix it or I can figure it out. I'll just figure it out on the way. Right. And then when you open up your second one, and then when you franchise all across America, you're going to be like, listen, I've got this in the back. Move on over, sweet greens. That's the goal, to be honest. But that COVID kind of came in. And so it's just... Has COVID pushed back the launch date or what's been the biggest challenge yeah. because of our current pandemic yeah. that we're living through? <laughs> so we were honestly supposed to launch in April. And so we're what, three months late. Um, yeah. COVID hit and, you know, you remember like every, no one knew what to do in March. There was so much confusion, so much uncertainty about the future. Nashville shut down. We shut down kind of basically everything as well. And then our construction group slowed down their 
process just mm-hmm. to make things safe for their employees. That kind of pushed it back. And our landlord has been great allowing us to, you know, they gave us, I think, a month and a half of rent free. So we could awesome. really kind of take our time and see what happens. Right. Um, and then, so that kind of like pushed us along. And then in, I guess, May, we decided to like pull the, not pull the plug, but go forward because we saw this opportunity. I think people love to cook, but people are sick of cooking. I'm sick of cooking. You know, I think that, and I cook for a living. And so people are starting to venture out and go out to eat again, maybe not sit down restaurants, but they're going out to do like fast food restaurants. Take it home and go have a picnic in your backyard or in the park or wherever. Like, I think you guys are perfect for that. But there's so many precautions. And I, I walk around yelling at people that like, because people don't, they talk and then they pull down their mask to talk. Mm-hmm. Like, you can talk through your mask. Yeah. Keep your mask on. Wash your hands. So you are know, you getting like matching masks for the staff? No, I looked at it and then I thought it was like slightly too weird. Too cheesy. Like radish <laughs> on your mouth. Like it just seemed almost, I don't know, it just seemed cultish or something. Yeah. So I got these um, face shields for everyone to wear because I think a lot of customer service is the ability to smile or to kind of see people's mouths. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that sounds really weird, but when you go to stores now and you see, when you try and ask someone a question, you can't tell, it's hard You can't read them without, with their mask on. So we got these face shields for our front of house employees. And we also have plexiglass basically everywhere um, to make sure that they're safe. And when, when COVID's over and the world hopefully goes back to normal, are you able to take the plexiglass out? So would you? Yeah, Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Remember when like smizing was a big thing from Tyra? <laughs> I feel yeah. like we all really need to work on our smizes because yeah. even under a mask, we need to be able to see a smile. <laughs> I think I've got like enough tired wrinkles. You can tell when I'm smiling now, but yeah, still. it's true. I mean, my, my smize, I, my smize lines have always been aggressive, yeah. but I'm very expressive with my face. <laughs> How did you decide to do it? Like, did you just jump right in? Um, I look back now and I'm like, I, wow, I had, I had some guts to do that. You know, I think the way I, the trends that I see in my life is the ability to just go and figure it out along the way. And I would, I would suggest that, you know, like you're never going to be able to figure out from A, A to B exactly if you're going to make a big change, but you have to trust the process right. and kind of go in faith and being passionate about what you're doing. So if it is food, when I jumped into the food world, I didn't know where I was going to land, but I had faith in myself and my ability to figure it out along the way. And I think, you know, figuring it out is the most fun because you realize there's different things that you love about different parts of whatever career you're jumping into, um, just by getting your hands into everything. Yeah. And I you're building yes. problem solving skills at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I said yes to everything. Yeah. Um, any opportunity that came along the way, even if it was like an assistant job, like it, yes, I still want to do an assistant job. I just heard about because I want to learn or I want to be there. Um, and I think that is a great perspective to say, yes, I'll try that. Yes. I'll, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll meet you there. I'll do it for free or whatever the opportunity is. Um, and then after you do it, you can decide, no, nah, that wasn't for me or yes, I want to do it again, or I want to pursue this part of it or something like that. Right. I think that's so important is immersing yourself in whatever you want to learn or do, because that's the only way you're going to figure out what part of it you want to go into or if you're good at it or not. And so what would be your piece of advice for someone who's opening up a restaurant or wants to open up a <laughs> restaurant and get into the restaurant biz? My piece of advice, I would say kind of sort of similar, but just enjoy the process. There's going to be ups and downs. There's a lot of unknowns, obviously COVID, but there's unknowns in any sort of business that you're starting. If you are enjoying building things and enjoying the process of, you know, solving problems, being creative, kind of creating your vision, then I think it's, it's definitely for you. I would also see what happens with COVID and what happens 
the future of restaurants um, as we know it. I think everyone is trying to figure that out. It's looking like it's going to pivot into more fast casual. So look and see where you think there's opportunity. I agree. Um, and try and, try and fill that market. I think a lot of the fancier restaurants, more like intimate small restaurants that are, you know, really expensive are not the way of the future. Trois clothes. I never, I never went there, but yeah. Me neither, but it was like yeah. a staple in LA. It's like a, an institution. That's crazy. But he's keeping his other ones, right? He's but, keeping Petit Trois. But to our point, Petit Trois is a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper, more casual. You know, I think I, I honestly think that's the way of the future. I mean, it's really heartbreaking to hear places like that and just that idea in general that that fancy restaurants are just not going to exist after this. I mean, that's a strong way to say it, but they're, it's going to be harder to do that. Like, I think everyone's just like, you know, no one really saw this coming. Right. Except well, and especially not for the whole 2020. Like, I remember when we first locked it down in March, I'm like, okay, cool. I, I actually remember, I'd be like, this will be three weeks. I'm going to give everyone a to-do list every day. We're yeah. going to, like, clean out our house. And by day 21, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I saw someone on Instagram that has been doing a live cooking class every single day. And it's like, lot 8,500 lot, you know, like every Eight single day. Every yeah. day. Every wow. day. I mean, she, I don't know if she's still doing it, but it was incredible to do that because I think she thought the same thing that it would be I, a month or two, month or two. And that wow. would be a great way to connect with people. But. Okay. So let's take a hard left turn and talk about this bad boy <laughs> because <laughs> your second cookbook unrelated to any brand, all you, all Amanda just came out a couple months ago, simple, beautiful food. And it is truly the perfect title because your food is beautiful and simple and approachable. I want to know how the idea for this came. Did it come out of fridge foraging or was it something else? Because Amanda also has a series on Instagram where she forages through her fridge every week and gives everyone two options of what to make. And then you make it live on your, well, not live, but you make it on your stories on Instagram. So the idea did kind of stem from fridge foraging. I started fridge foraging when I was in LA. I think I've been doing it every Wednesday for like three and a half years, which is just crazy. Yep. Um, so it stemmed out of that idea, but I will be completely transparent that I tried to sell fridge foraging as a book and no one wanted it. No one wanted to buy that. The irony is that it literally came out the day that everyone started fridge Fridge foraging. (laughs) (laughs) I had this proposal and I was pitching it and they're like, we like it, but not right for us right now. But my editor at 10 speed press, which is who I wrote um, the stove cookbook with, she was like, Hey, I love the idea that you are putting forward, but let's have like, let's brainstorm about different ways that we can make it what we think the market needs. And so um, Kelly and I came up with this concept, the cookbook. And I feel like some of the recipes in here are reminiscent of maybe what we will find at Radish. Yeah. And there, I mean, the chicken, I think I'm serving the chicken, the panko crusted chicken will be on the menu. Ooh. Um, are you going to sell this a- book at Radish? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, should. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. yeah great. So I have like a retail space at Radish um, that I'm going to sell cookbooks, t-shirts, friends cookbooks like yours. So cute. Um, all different kind of people that I admire just having it on the wall. That's part of the idea is to kind of make it more of a community space where people can come in, they can sell their cookbooks, they can sell their, you know, whatever they're trying to kind of create a brand for, whether it's pies or ice cream or whatever, um, or jewelry and just allow people to come in and use the space um, just to kind of like cultivate community. You've thought of it all. (laughs) You literally thought of it all. We'll see. Um, okay, so before we end this yeah. podcast, I want to play a game, the What's Got Be Cooking game show, which I have pitched <laughs> as a TV show and no one has bought it. 
I'm just kidding. I haven't pitched it. Um, you should because I, I would watch it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, Thomas and I should just produce it at home because yeah, no, no production crews are getting in here anytime soon. I know, but that's the beauty of it. Thomas can film it and you can be in it. And Have you seen Amy Schumer's show that they started filming during quarantine? People say it's really quite funny. It's her cooking show. Is it really? It's a cooking show on Food Network. And I think her assistant or her nanny films it. She's in it. And her husband, who's a chef, is like teaching her to cook from what I've gathered online. Fire rapid questions. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. What did you want to be when you grew up? I'm an astronaut. What is your least favorite food? Blue cheese. Me too. I hate blue cheese. This is stinky. Is there blue cheese on the menu anywhere at Radish? There is not. I love you for that so much. Yeah. You just have goat cheese and Parmesan and cotilla. Ooh, support. Yep. Um, okay, top destination on your bucket list once the world opens up again. Morocco has always been top of my list. What is your go-to weeknight meal? Right now it's pasta and I just grate in some tomatoes, a little wine, a little butter. Call it a day. Um, if you're out to dinner at a restaurant pre-COVID, would you rather order another savory dish or would you rather have dessert? I would rather have another savory dish. Favorite ice cream flavor slash brand? Favorite flavor is like old school cookies and cream. Um, although I did just have salt and straw again um, since moving to Nashville. We don't have it. Oh. it. I got it sent and it was delicious. What flavor? So their gooey brownie was amazing. Harry Potter or Hunger Games? Harry Potter. Favorite way to eat avocados? Let's say on tacos. Ooh. I'm not like a big plain avocado person. I know that's like sacrilege. I like no. it on. I like it on salads. I like it on tacos. You want just on want something? You don't just want like a spoonful of avocado. I mean, I don't really want a spoonful of avocado either. <laughs> um, Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Beyonce. Favorite Girl Scout cookie? Thin Mint. What has your been your favorite TV show or movie that you've watched during quarantine? A reality TV into the lives of Formula One race car drivers. And it is incredible. <laughs> you are the best. I am so happy. At the end of every episode, I always feature a brand or a product. But today, I just think everyone should buy your book. It's called Simple Beautiful Food. And if you live in Nashville, go check out Radish. Get it to go, go camp outside and like set up a picnic. I'm so jealous. I will not be one of the first people to eat there. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you need to come back to Nashville and we need to- 100%. Oh my gosh, that's why one more question. What's your favorite restaurant besides Radish in Nashville? It is this place called Folk. The pizza, it's so good. The pizza. And then I I think you do too have an appreciation for like chicken schnitzel or milanese. And theirs is like, it's kind of like reminds me of John and Vinny's in LA, which I loved but it's super crispy and you put a salad on top and you think you're eating something healthy, but you're really just so eating So beautiful. Chicken. Where is Radish in comparison to Folk? So other side of town, Folk is in East Nashville. Radish is like the West side of Nashville, kind of close to the nations, close to Sylvan Park. Well, I'm so excited for you and I can't believe you guys are launching and I'm, I just am sending you all my good vibes. And if you guys are listening, please send me pictures of Radish and like eat <laughs> some Froyo in my honor. <laughs> Come to Nashville, we'll eat there, we'll go explore. All right, that's it for today's Web Scobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatscobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.